I want to speak to you just a moment about futility. And I love words. Futility, defined futility, means pointless, useless, achieving no effect. And I want to talk about the real full meaning of futility. Um, For instance, go outside this building and push on it with your shoulder to see if you can move it over towards Bellmead Police Station. That sort of futility. Or um, the futility you get into whenever you posit a a political argument on social media thinking you're actually going to convince someone of your position. That sort of futility. No chance. No chance. So, our gospel, the Pharisee and the tax collector. At first blush, it's easy for us to, uh, and we do this as people, we, want, we read it, we want to pull out a real surface meaning and apply it to our lives, and then move on. Um, we are typically achievers, and that's how we'll, we're going to approach this. But the first thing we have to throw overboard and get off of the table immediately is this notion that this parable is given to us um, as a lesson on the virtue of humility. It's not about becoming more humble. Um, Why? If that's what we take from it, most of us can fake it. Now, don't look at me like that. We can. Oh, you need me to be more humble? Oh, shucks. I didn't do anything. I can... You would think I was the most humble person in the world if I wanted you to think that. We can fake humility. So this is not about that because that's the way we would appropriate it. We become actors. We will present and become adaptable in the roles that we're asked to play to better position ourselves. So if we think God will exalt us if we're going to be humble, we would immediately try to become more humble so that we could be exalted. So that's not what the parable is about. We're on the same page so far. So let's chunk that overboard. This parable actually, I think, is instruction in the futility of approaching religion as a stairway to heaven. Um, It's a proposition that there's nothing that I can gain in God's acceptance by the things that I do and the folly of even trying that. It's a story to drop the moral and ethical stances that we take in order to connect with God. Let's consider the characters a moment. The Pharisee is no crook, right? He even says as such. Uh, He's not someone who's subject to the gossip columns. He's a respectable citizen. People may not like him a lot, but it's not because he's doing things wrong. He's probably fair with his friends and his family. Remember, he fasts, he tithes, he gives of his income. The Pharisees were required to memorize the entire Old Testament, as we call it. So he memorizes scriptures. He will beat you in a scripture memorization drill. No problem. This guy knows scripture. He's the sort of person that gets elected unanimously to vestries to serve on church councils, to lead Bible study. This person is welcomed into churches with no questions asked. That's our Pharisee. On the other hand, we have this guy, the tax collector, 
who, uh, as if you know some of the background, they are Jews that work for Rome, so they're seen as treasonous. He skims the cream off the top of the money he extorts uh, from his fellow citizens in order to live generally a higher uh, fat cat type of life, perhaps. Uh, His name is the subject of the gossip columns. It's dragged through the mud of the town square, and he's uh, kind of the worst sinner of every sort. There were times in the synagogues when um, they would read out the names of notorious sinners and those who were beyond the mercy of God, and they would always name the tax collectors as well. They're the worst of the worst. And so what does Jesus then now, as we know this background, tell us about the good man, this fellow, the Pharisee, the guy who is respectable. Well, it seems that he is in worse shape than the extortionist, the fellow who just walks, waltzes into the temple and basically says, uh, I admit, I'm a rotten, and I have nothing to show before you. I'm a sinner. So, we have to stop again. As good Christians and people who believe what the Bible says will accept this readily on the face of it. That's right. (laughs) Jesus says that the tax collector is accepted because uh, he simply admits his fault um, and that this other fellow does not go home to his house justified and will nod, and we believe it of sorts. But the fact is our lives generally don't reflect that we believe that. It's not typically how we judge other people and the way we live. We do, well, I do. You know, I'm bad at using I statements. I should use I statements because y'all are good people and I shouldn't put you in this boat. But I often still am challenged with judging by outward appearance. You know, and when I see someone who does all of these things that the the Pharisee does, I typically give them the benefit of the doubt and regard them fairly highly, and when I see someone that I feel has really injured uh, maybe my family or taken advantage of me, I don't want to agree with what the Scripture says here and give him a pass. Am I the only one that lives this way? It's, if, you know, if we rate this parable, (laughs) it got me thinking, I hate to rate this app right in the middle when I'm trying to figure something out. Rate this app. It's like, well, if I could give you negative points, I'd do it right now because I don't want to rate the app right now. Uh, As good Christians, we rate the parable five out of five stars, but in our hearts, we don't like it. It goes against our sense of uh, fair play and what's just. But that's the point. Parables are meant to turn us inside out and flip our worlds on its head. Jesus is here to tell us that the Pharisee is no better off than the tax collector and in a worse state. And why? Because while they are both sinners, at least one has the sense to recognize it and to trust in God's mercy rather than their resume. To trust in God's mercy rather than their resume. The point of the parable is that we all live in the same boat. Sin affects us to where we feel some disconnection uh, from God's affection. 
but we want to think that the Pharisee is probably further down the road of winning God's affection than the tax collector is. We continue to want to default uh, down that road. We still begin to count. Um, for instance, let's just take this, par- this parable and extrapolate on it into the future. What if the next week the tax collector comes and he's actually still collecting taxes and still skimming off the top and he comes back to the temple and does exactly what he does in this parable? Should he go back to his home justified? Did he learn nothing? Where's the line in the sand for God's mercy? It's a hard question, isn't it? We want the tax collector to learn and then to become a more respectable citizen. But when we begin to count like that, it's the same miscalculation that is happening in the Pharisee. They're depending upon things that they've done. Whenever I was the chaplain here a number of years ago, 10 years ago, I remember trying to talk to uh, the four and five-year-olds about this and about the futility of, of counting. And the, the illustration I came up with was, uh, what if I made all of you some brownies? And they were, of course, they were excited about that. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> let's make brownies. And I said, what if I told you I put some wet dog food in the brownie mix? They didn't want brownies anymore, <laughs> and I wouldn't either. And I said, would it matter to you as to how much dog food I put in that brownie mix? They said, no. You put half a cup, you put a quarter of a cup, it's still dog food in the brownie mix, and we don't want any brownies like that. That's kind of the point. It's Once you've got this going, the, the counting becomes futile. There's the futility in counting. You know, a relationship, a, tr- a real relationship, a relationship of intimacy, of vulnerability, of mutual exchange. A relationship in which it's based upon a resume is rubbish. Because if we're counting on our resume to be uh, the content of that relationship, Our love is being drawn out of somebody else because of what we've done, rather than the character of the person who's loving us. And I think that's part of what this parable is all about, is the content and character of God's nature is one that gives of himself, of love. And if we want to put it in legal terms like this parable does, yes, the tax collector goes uh, home uh, more justified because he recognizes that a relationship built upon resume is rubbish. Paul even references this a little bit in um, a reading from 2 Timothy today. He talks about he's been deserted, right? He's been persecuted, he's been deserted. And what does he say about his deserters? 
may it not be charged against them. He's already, he's living out this. And oh, let's think, think about this. Who's he saying that to, do you think? May it not be charged against them, the people who deserted me. Have you thought about that? Is he asking God not to charge it against them? I don't think so. He knows God's character. He's asking his readers, who will know that these people deserted Paul, not to treat them as someone who deserted Paul. It affects the way that we live our lives with one another. God's mercies are new every single morning. It's hard for us to eat the whole grace enchilada. We, in, we introduce buts. Yeah, but this. Or what if this? We look for exceptions, but this, the new covenant in Christ, which we will celebrate in just a moment in this meal, knows only one valid law. And it's not the law of uh, whether I've done all of these things. It is the law of love, which is life in Christ. It has nothing to do with how well I've kept every one of the commandments, but it's about discovering not only the identity of God as the lover of your soul, but our identity in his eyes, which is you are the apple of his eye. That's what changes our hearts than to love God and love neighbor. It's never from a list of externals, this is the way you should do, and if you'll humble yourselves, then you'll be exalted. Because that'll result in false humility. Rather than living from a place where we have been treated as the tax collector, as one who has received mercy, even though we know our resume is rubbish. And it begins to change us from the inside out to where we want to extend the mercy which we have received ourselves. Because we no longer judge people according to their resume, but because of who they are in Christ. Second Corinthians puts it this way. It says, we once judged Jesus according to outward appearances, but we no longer judge in this way, and we won't judge anyone else that way either. It's being given new eyes of mercy and forgiveness to see uh, one another. Finally, one of my favorite Bible verses is Galatians 5.1. Anyone know Galatians 5.1? It's, uh, it's for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set me free. Do not submit then again to the yoke of slavery. Well, and as it applies to this, what is the yoke of slavery? It's living according to our resumes. And determining that our relationship with others is all going to be done according to their resumes. Yes, we're to be wise. I'm not, please don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, how we've been treated by people, it does affect our interaction with them. But as it relates to how they, uh, who they are before God, um, we see them through the eyes of mercy because we're seen through those same eyes and it gives us freedom to risk and to play and to live for as long as you and I struggle like the Pharisee to be alive in our own eyes because of the content of our, resu our resume to the precise degree that we struggle for what is holy and just and good by what we do, we will begin to resent those 
but don't try as hard as we do. The goodness and mercy, the goodness and graciousness, the lavish understanding of who we are as children, that's what worship is about. It's our eyes and our souls being awakened to that. Uh, I've said this a few times in some meetings recently, but it's a great illustration, I think. It's, It's as if we have a tuning fork in our spirits, and we begin to hear about the goodness and graciousness of God and our identity. It begins to resonate in our spirits. And it calls us forth into a life that's beyond actually what we can ask or think. Amen.